Good morning. We're uh, Joey and Angie Cooley. Uh, we've been members of uh, Crosspoint since uh, day one. Uh, so we're here this morning to uh, read the scripture from Acts chapter 6, verses 8. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and of those from Sicily and Asia, rose up and disputed with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up fault witnesses who said, This man never ceases to speak words against the ho this holy place and the law, for which we heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like that of an angel. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you this morning thanking you for who you are and what you've done. We pray, God, now that you prepare the hearts of, of men and women as we listen to the word that has been preached and proclaimed. We pray, God, for wisdom in our lives that we may do the things that you'd have us to do. Once again, Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, uh, go to Acts chapter 6. We're going to be where obviously where uh, Joey just read for us. Uh, everybody good this morning? Can, can we start with like, good morning? All right, sweet. I'm, I'm tired, and so I'm going to need y'all to respond back and forth with me as we're going to let me know that you're there and I stay awake while I'm up here. So it's real bad if the preacher puts himself to sleep. Uh, anyway, Acts chapter 6, we, uh, uh, we're going to pick up where Luke left off last week. Luke, uh, this morning, is at Philadelphia Baptist Church in Alexandria, Louisiana. And so he preached the disciple now this weekend, and he stayed there and is preaching uh, the, at Philadelphia Baptist Church uh, this morning. So this morning we're going to uh, look at, begin to look at Stephen. Now Stephen is, uh, uh, if you, many of you may know already, Stephen actually became the first Christian martyr. We'll get to that uh, at the end of chapter 7. Uh, and uh, Stephen, this passage really is, serves to mark a transition uh, in the trajectory of the church. Right, And so uh, we've seen uh, now for months that we've been in the book of Acts, the church, uh, whenever it was born and the Holy Spirit coming, and we began to see how they handled the first things of issues, but everything has been in Jerusalem, right? They, they, they're still centrally located where they started. They haven't left out yet. Well, in Acts chapter 6 and Acts chapter 7, something happens to Stephen, and what we'll see in Acts 8 is actually that it forces their hand to get outside of Jerusalem. And I'll say it from the get-go, uh, right? And so when Jesus tells his apostles that they'll be his witnesses where it starts uh, it starts in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. And so what has happened so far is they've only fulfilled like one part of that, right? 
And what looks like the enemy is about to get the upper hand on God and his movement by killing Stephen, what we actually see is God in his sovereignty using the enemy of, or the, the enemy and the tactics of the enemy to spread the gospel even further. So I'm, I'm going to tell you that from 30,000 foot up here is that we actually are going to see in this crazy story with Stephen over the next maybe three weeks, maybe four weeks. I don't know how long it's going to take us to get through it because in Acts 7, he literally, uh, we were talking to staff meeting this past week, when he stands up to preach or defend himself, he literally gives this Old Testament survey. Uh, and so we we're talking about staff meeting. If we wanted to teach somebody who doesn't know anything about the Old Testament, uh, just a crash course in the Old Testament, go to Acts chapter 7, and, and Stephen tell, teaches us the Old Testament. And so we're going to spend some time in there. Uh, but anyway, uh, this, this passage marks a transition, like I said, in the trajectory of the church, right? So far, Peter's kind of been the big mouthpiece. Uh, Peter and John, and, you know, we've actually seen all the apostles there in, in chapters four and five. Uh, and then, uh, but now we're kind of in between because Paul is still Saul, right? And so he hasn't become a Christian yet. So we know the, the rest of the book of Acts is really mainly Paul and his missionary journeys. And so here in chapter six and seven, we're kind of in a transition time to where not that Peter is going away, but for the most part here on out, we don't hear a lot of Peter anymore. It becomes Paul. But before Paul uh, was Paul, he was Saul. And the crazy thing is this guy named Stephen had something to do, I believe, with Saul's conversion. Uh, we see that Saul was here in Acts 6 and Acts 7. And we obviously see him when we get there that he was there when Stephen was stoned. And, but it, it marks a transition from, from Jerusalem to the Gentile nations, right? So we understand that Peter spent most of his time with Jerusalem Jews. We know that Paul spent most of his time in Gentile nations. What, we see, what we'll see this morning is Stephen is kind of hanging out in Jews from Gentile areas. And so it's kind of a transition in between, if you will. And here's what's phenomenal to me. Of what we know about Stephen is two chapters, we got introduced to him last week as one of the seven that was chosen. He dies at the end of chapter seven. And just a practical point is ultimately what we all understand over the next couple of weeks is that he's great proof that the effect of a man's life is, has nothing to do with the length of his days. Uh, it ha and the effect of a man's ministry has nothing to do with the length of it. It's how he's lived that life because here we have this guy who literally God used to springboard the expansion and the explosion of his church throughout Gentile nations, if you will. But he's, we don't have much on him. Uh, and so this morning, uh, when we think about it, uh, last week there was some needs that came up uh, with widows, right? And so the church elected or the church called out seven people, right? So we remember that last week that Luke walked us through how the, the, the process and why they were doing that. So think about this for a moment. Thousands of people, right? The church could be some 20, 30,000 people at this time. So thousands of men could have been chosen and selected, yet there was only seven. And so Stephen was one of those guys. All right, so just think about that of what type of person he may have been or the characteristics. And that's what mainly I want to talk about this morning. So uh, it speaks a lot about him. And this passage this morning that, that Joey read for us, it, it, speak, it, or it shines the, brighter, uh, the light brighter on the character. But also this, this morning it was set the tone of, of chapter 7 and literally the rest of the book of Acts. Because no, nothing stays the same after we get done with Acts chapter 7. Everything changes. 
Uh, and so this, that's why I want to spend three or four weeks here in this, in this one chapter, chapter and a half, because it sets the tone for everything else. And so let's read the scripture again. Let's just read verse eight. Most of the sermon this morning is just going to be on verse eight. So uh, I'll tell you what I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I got all my points out of verse eight, and then I'll tell you some narrative stuff to finish out the, the, to, to verse 15. But uh, it says that the Stephen was full of grace and power and was doing great wonders and wonders and signs among the people. And just two times we've seen Stephen's name, both times in chapter five and now in cha- verse five and now in verse eight. Stephen is full of something, right? So we have his, his name in two sentences. The first time in verse 5, it says that he was full of what? He was full of faith, and he was the full of the Spirit. Now, the second time we see his name, Luke writes, he is full of grace and full of power, right? So that's what we know about this guy is that he's, he's full of faith, he's full of the Holy Spirit, he's full of grace, and he's full of power, right? So I want to spend some time this morning walking through what this, what his, who, who Stephen was that we know that he was, he was dominated. He, there were really four controlling factors of Stephen's life that we read in this text. The first one uh, that we saw is that he was full of faith. We saw that in verse 5. All right, so Stephen was a guy. He was full of faith. Now, I'll remind you what it means to be full of or to be filled by. Uh, and, and biblically speaking, whenever you see the words filled with or filled by or full of, it's speaking in the, in the, in the regards to being controlled by. Or being dominated by, right? And so whenever we read that, that Stephen was full of faith, what Luke is writing to us is that he was literally controlled by faith. Like his life was dominated by faith, right? Everybody with me so far? Uh, and so he was, he was, he was, it was uh, under the control of, right? And so when somebody's filled with sorrow, right? So think about that for a moment. Or we have emotions that we get filled by. What happens? We become under the dominion or the control of those emotions. Everybody with me? Like, I guess a great example of it would actually be in chapter 5, verse 17. This is after uh, the church is growing and the favor is growing with all the people. In verse 15 of chapter 5, it says, But the high priest rose up. And all who were with him, that is a party of the Sadducees, uh, and they were filled with jealousy. And what do we understand about them? Because they were controlled by that jealousy, they responded in a way, the way they treated the apostles, right? So they were under the influence of what they were filled by. Everybody with me? All right, so now we flip back to chapter 6, and what we see of Stephen in verse 5 is that he was filled with faith. Number one, Stephen was full of faith. Really what it means is that he was full of trust. He trusted God. And that's monumental for me and you. Like we, in order for us to catch, because this dude in just a couple verses later is going to be in the bottom of a hole with people throwing stones at him. But he was full of faith. And that's what we've seen so far with the apostles, right? They were full of faith. They were full of trust that even if they were standing before the Sanhedrin, they trusted God. Like they trusted that they were exactly where they were supposed to be. Right? Everybody with me? And so he was full of faith. He, he believed God. And we'll see it as we go through Acts chapter 7. In verses 1 through 51, we see that Stephen, because he tells them, tells the people, he believed that God was in control of all of human history. 
We'll see it over the next few weeks that he literally believed that there was from Adam to this point that God was sovereignly ruling all things. Like there was nothing that was happening that God did not orchestrate. Nothing passed by him on accident. He believed that. He had faith in that, that God was sovereignly ruling the universe, that the wind didn't blow without his permission, that he was sovereignly ruling everything. He was in complete control of all of human history. And if that's the case, then God was in control of Stephen's life as well. He could say like Paul did in Romans 14, 8, that, For if we live, we live to the Lord, but if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Stephen had faith that God was in control of all things, that he was sovereignly ruling the universe. What else did Stephen believe? What else did he have faith in that we'll see in chapter 7? We see that he believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah. And check this out. Not only was he promised Messiah, but he was now alive and he was exalted and seated at the right hand of the Father. Imagine the confidence, right? He serves the God who rules the universe and he trusts in the resurrected, exalted Jesus who's sitting at the right hand of the Father that's Lord of all creation. He believed in the Holy Spirit. We see that in chapter 7 as well. Stephen believed that God was sovereign over all things, even his life. And here's what it means to be full of faith or full of trust, is that his life was totally under the dominion of trusting God. His life was not his own. He resigned it to the rule of God. And how freeing would that be? How free, how free, like we don't have an issue trusting God with our eternal destiny. But for some reason, these short years that we have here, we don't think that God's ruling those things either. Like we have no problem with him getting, listen, we have no problem with him saving us from a devil's hell to take us to glory. But man, this, this life on, the, on earth, it, he can, it's too much for him. He can't deal with that. We spend our time worried and hustling and bustling and, and, and we'd rather develop stomach ulcers than just trust that God has things taken care of. Uh, we would rather run to and fro wearing ourselves out trying to protect our own life than actually being full of faith and understanding that God sovereignly rules all things. Am I with me? Like, Stephen was full of faith, full of trust. He had resigned his life to God. He was just a part of God's plan and God's will, and God was going to do with him whatever God wanted to do with him. By tracing the hand of God in all of human history, Stephen was confident that the Lord was still ruling. And he was exactly where he was supposed to be even if it was going to cost him his life. He didn't know that yet. But he was exactly where he was full of faith, means he fully trusted God and that God was sovereignly ruling all things. Second thing, Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. We see that in verse 5. So Justin, why are you going back 5? Because I believe what we see in verse 8 is actually just fruit of verse 5. We see a man who's full of faith and he's full of the Holy Spirit. What's going to happen? He's going to be a man that's full of grace. He's going to be full of power. 
Right? And so you know, we see that in verse 5 that he was full of the Holy Spirit, which again means to, to be controlled by the Spirit. It's, uh, I think I titled this sermon, Trust and Obey. I thought about the old hymn that there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. That's the mark of the Christian life is that we trust that God's in control of all things, that he's the Lord of all the universe, and we're, we're obedient to him. We, we say, yes, Lord, that's, that is the right way. Yes. So he was controlled by the Spirit. He was obeying the Spirit. Stephen believed God and submitted to him, submitted to the Spirit's lead. And this is the epitome of the Christian life, that we, that we trust God and then we obey God, that we follow him. And it's like a, uh, John MacArthur said, it's like a, putting a hand in a glove. Not when you, and we've heard this illustration before, but like when you put your hand in a glove, the, the glove doesn't go, all right, hand, what are we going to do? No, it just does whatever the hand's doing. Like the glove does, like if, when the hand goes in a glove, literally it just does, the glove follows the hand. That's the picture to be filled with the Spirit is that the being, like Stephen wasn't going, all right, Lord, what am I supposed to do? What am I? No, he was just living his life and what he was doing, he was controlled by the Spirit. So whatever he was doing was, it was God's will. He was, he was being obedient. It was step by step, day by day that he was following the Lord. He was filled with the Spirit. He submitted. And maybe for many of us, we have a hard time submitting to the Spirit because we don't fully trust God. He was full of faith that God was the sovereign ruler of the universe and he submitted to his will. He was full of faith. He was full of the Holy Spirit. The third thing that we see in verse 8 is that he was full of grace. And Stephen, who was full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Again, I believe that verse 8 flows from verse 5. Because Stephen trusted God and was obedient to his will, he was full of grace and he was full of power. The word grace here is it's obviously God's favor, and there's multiple types of grace that we see in the Scripture. I believe specifically with Stephen, it's grace, uh, it's grace for others, it's, it's, it's loving kindness toward men. Uh, that we see, but what we understand is that grace comes through faith. That, that Ephesians 2 8 is by grace you're saved through faith. And in 1 Peter talks about if you suffer in faith, that, that, that the spirit of grace will be upon you. And, and so we understand that all through scripture is that God dispenses grace to those who trust him. Right? Everybody with me? And so Stephen was full of faith, trusting God. So in turn, he becomes full of grace toward people, loving kindness toward all people. He was full of loving kindness. We see it in chapter 7. Listen, I know, I know I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but most of you know the story. If you don't, this dude is going to end up in a hole with stones being thrown at him. And as his executioners, this may sound familiar to you, as his executioners are stoning him, he prays for God not to hold the sin against them. What? How could, how is that even, how could he do that? How could, I mean, I mean, just make me mad, there's a good chance I'm not going to say, God, please forgive him. Much less be stoning me in a hole. How, how could Stephen be gracious towards even those who were executing him? Because he trusted God. And by trusting and resigning himself to God, it freed him to actually love people. 
to forgive people, to be full of grace, loving kindness toward people. Resigning his life over to the rule of God freed him to be gracious to all men. See, Stephen wasn't busy protecting his own image or his own life. So he was able to be gracious to all people, even those who were executing him. And and just we're going to read in a second. In a moment, they're going to start falsely accusing Stephen of things. Not one time does Stephen say, no, I didn't say that. No, that's not what I'm saying. He wasn't worried about protecting his own image. He trusted God that he was was where he was supposed to be exactly at the right time. And because of that, say what you want. I'm going to offer grace. He's full of faith. He trusted God. He's full of the Spirit. Because of that, he was full of grace. See the connection there. Because he was full of faith, he was able to be full of grace. Because he told him to believe that God was sovereign over his life, it freed him to love people. And listen to me. And to even die graciously. Like the grace of God, he was full of the grace even up to his last breath. Man, can we trust God enough that we could even be full of grace and death? Number four, Stephen was full of power. So we see he was full of grace and full of power and was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Now, some people don't know if he actually had the same gift like the apostles had or, or it was whenever the apostles laid their hands on him that it gave him the gift or, or what's going on here. And I'm not really diving into that, but what we see is that because he was full of faith, he trusted God, and because he was yielded to the Spirit, he in turn was full of grace, which is a byproduct of faith, so what's, where's the power come from? Being full of what? The Holy Spirit, right? So they're, they're connected here. We see this through the passage. And so, uh, again, this flows from verse 5. Because he was full of faith, he was full of grace. And now because he's full of the Spirit, he is full of power. And here's just what I wrote down here. When a man or woman is full of faith and obedient to the Spirit, he will be more gracious toward men, and the power of God will be at work in his life. I'm going to say that again. Whenever a man or woman is full of faith, trust, and obedient to the Spirit, he will become more gracious toward men, and the power of God will be at work in his life. The grace and power, I say it like this, if you didn't catch it, the grace of God and the power of God will be on display because Stephen trusted God and obeyed God. And that becomes even more evident as we go throughout this passage, because what we begin to see is that in Stephen's life and his trust that he, because it's about to get heated for him. Matter of fact, there's a picture in the end of chapter seven. It says that they, uh, they gnashed their teeth at him, which literally means they look like a little chihuahua in the back seat or back window of a car in the Walmart parking lot growling at you. Like these people became animals. And Stephen, not at one time did he back down. Why? Because he trusted that God was sovereign over all things. And God gave him grace and power. Now let's jump into the story. 
I'll go through this quick. So we see, I told you most of my time was in verse 8. So we see that Stephen, this guy who, you know, because, because he was doing many signs and wonders, we don't necessarily think that, like Luke talked last week, that they were the actual first elected deacons is more of a prototype of, of, of what that office would be, that elected office would be. But these guys actually, him, we have him, and then the next guy who comes up again to speak is a guy named Philip, who was one of the seven as well that were chosen in Acts, the beginning of Acts chapter 6. And so, anyway, uh, we see that he was performing great wonders of signs among the people. So if you're taking notes, what happens? Stephen debates the leaders of different synagogues. Man, this is, I read some pretty cool stuff on this this week, but in verses 9 and 10, so it says, so then some of those who belong to, to the synagogue, this is really funny, and so the synagogues were, were set up whenever uh, the, they couldn't get to the temple, if you will, they, but more than anything, they were set up inside Jerusalem for the Hellenist Jews, and so the Jews that didn't live in Jerusalem, when they would come to Jerusalem for Passover or Pentecost or whatever, they would have their own synagogue inside Jerusalem that was only for their, their speaking people, right? And so this idea of churches on every corner has been, been in existence since here. They, they, if you didn't like, if they didn't like what you had, then they, MacArthur said they would, well, I'll pick up my scroll and go build me another one. Uh, and so, and it only took 10 adults to actually make a, an official synagogue. And so there were over, they said over 480 different synagogues inside Jerusalem, and so there was. And so he, he lists some of them. Some of the of the freedmen. Yours may say the Libertines, the the Cyrenians, the Alexandrians, the Cilicia, Asia. That was just some that were listed. And so evidently, at some point, Stephen hit up all these synagogues. And here's another transition for you. When Paul went into a new town, where did he go first? Always go to the synagogue first. Where did he learn that from? I think he may have learned from a guy named Stephen. But anyway, so, so here uh, what happens is Stephen evidently is causing a ruckus just going from synagogue to synagogue, teaching and preaching. Yeah, this Messiah, he's come. And, and yeah, he, the, he, there's a new covenant. The, the law can't save you, but Jesus can. He's probably going through and teaching. And then all, all of a sudden, all these synagogues, some of these synagogues said, all right, let's send our best and our brightest and let's go debate Stephen. That's what's happening in verse 9. And so the freedmen, these were, these were Jews that had been, uh, been, had been brought into slavery uh, that, I guess my note's in here somewhere. Uh, there we go. Uh, 63 B.C. And so they were taken to Rome as slaves, and once they were there, they were freed. And so and these were Hellenist Jews, Greek, Greek-speaking Jews. And so and that's who, when we see the freedmen, that's who we're talking about. Then we have the Cyrenians and Alexandrians. This would be like North Africa. They're like Simon the Cyrene who carried the cross. Like he would have been, when he came to town for Passover, he would have went to this synagogue during, during his time there. Uh, and then you have Cilicia and Asia Minor. Here's what's crazy. Do you know what like the capital city in Cilicia is? Tarsus. There's a great chance if they're sending their biggest and their brightest to debate Stephen, guess who was in there? A guy named Saul. Like, could you imagine this dude full of grace, full of wisdom, debating a unredeemed Saul who was like the smartest of the smart, right? Like Paul talks a lot about himself. He was like the Jew of Jew, like I'm thoroughbred, like I'm the best, like it's me, not you. Could you imagine like inside that synagogue of Stephen and, and Saul going at it? Like that would just be, be crazy. And so 
They came together, and verse 9 says that they rose up and disputed with Stephen. This word dispute literally means to debate, an honest debate. And then what does the verse 10 say? But they could not withstand the wisdom of the Spirit, which he was saying. Like, this dude Trump, this dude Trump saw, y'all. Like, yeah. They couldn't withstand him, right, with the wisdom. And it says the Spirit, and that's the, the energy and the compassion and the assurance of these things. And I just kind of wrote this down for a second, but the, the knowledge of man can never withstand the wisdom given from God. Like, no matter how much we search the books and arrive at all the knowledge but never arriving at understanding, like the, the knowledge of man will never be able to withstand the wisdom of God. So here's what I'm telling you, child of God. You may not be the smartest, or the most articulate, me neither. But you have the Holy Spirit of God within you. You have a power that those who are relying on the knowledge of man do not have. So be encouraged by that. It doesn't matter who you are, it's who's in you. It doesn't matter how many books you've read, it's the one that inspired the books to be written is inside of you. Be encouraged by that. I know I was. So Stephen debates the leaders in different synagogues, verses 9 and 10. Verses 11 through 14, the leaders instigate false witnesses and stir up the people to seize Stephen. So we, we see that in verse 11. It says, uh, so they couldn't withstand his wisdom and spirit, so they secretly instigated men. Does that sound familiar? Who said that we've heard this man speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And later they're going to accuse him of blasphemy, uh, blasphemy against the temple and the law. Does anybody else you can think of was accused of the same things? A guy named Jesus. So not only they've been accused, of, there's a sermon there somewhere. Not only was Stephen being accused of the same things of Jesus, but he also, he still prayed for his executioners. Matter of fact, we even see that he prayed for God to receive his spirit. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, maybe there's, Something about being full of the Spirit, or full of faith and full of the Spirit that actually God transforms you into the image of a son. I don't know. That may be in the Bible. Not sure. But that's what we see happening in Stephen. And so they began to falsely accuse him. And notice the order that they accused him, the order of importance. The, the biggest thing that they were frustrated was is that he was speaking blasphemous words against Moses. Like that was their, like that was their biggest, uh, the first, first order of importance he's talking about about Moses. And he's talking about about God. But like, there's, you see what's important in their own heart and in their own minds here. And so they secretly instigated man to speak these things. Blasphemy against Moses and God. I want you to catch that against Moses because I, I may be reading something too, into, uh, into it too much at the end of the sermon, but I've got the microphone right now. So, <clears throat> so they accused him of blasphemy against these things. In verse 12, it says that they stirred up the people and the elders and scribes that came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. Most of the people I read that they believe that the people of verse 12, the people that they stirred up, that seized them, it's a violent word, seized, like literally violently came and arrested them. Most people believe it's the same people of chapter 5, verse 13, whenever it says that all the people held them in high esteem, but they did not dare to join them. And just... One chapter, you have people who say, we esteem these Christians big time, but I choose to reject Jesus. In one chapter, they're the people who are hating Jesus and his people. Just in one chapter. And so I wrote, I wrote this down, that there's, 
there's a fine line where rejection of Jesus can quickly become hatred for Jesus or of Jesus. These people esteemed the Christians highly, and now they're trying to kill one of them. Something happened. What? They rejected, they rejected the Spirit. Verse 14, it says, And we have heard them say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place, being the temple, and will change the customs that Moses delivered. It sounds like an old Baptist church. Changing our customs. Changing the way we do things. Don't be doing that. I don't get up in our business like that. Cause that's what I cared about was their customs. And I'm sure that he probably did come and preach. Uh, Stephen probably did preach about the new covenant. Like, Hey, the old covenant can't save you. There was a custom that God had, uh, had given our people, but that custom was to point us to this true Messiah that would come, this true lamb that would come to be the, the sacrifice for all sins. And there's a new covenant. Now it's, it's written in our hearts. It's not on stone like the one he gave Moses. Now he's written it in our hearts and he places a spirit within us so that we could obey him and love him and be full of him. And all they heard was he's changing our customs. And so we see the leaders instigate false witnesses and stir up the people against Stephen in verse 15, which is crazy. Stephen ain't said anything. He's not defending himself. He's not saying anything. And then they look at him, and it says that gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. What do you do with that verse, right? Like, what does that mean to have a face like the face of an angel? Like, you know, the peace, tranquility, but we think about angels in this picture, like these little salt, like fierce. Like I see, I think it was his, was his face just like laser focused. He was peaceful, but was laser focused. And then my mind got to thinking because they, they were so big on Moses. Remember, remember when God gave Moses the law and then when he'd come down, like the glory of the, his face was shining bright because God had given the law. And so it's in Exodus, Exodus 34, and I'm going to go read it, but that, but what would happen is, is that when Moses would come down to the people, he'd have to veil his face because his face was glowing because of the glory of the Lord. And it was whenever God gave him the covenant. Then when he would go back up to the mountain, he would be able to take the veil off his face because he's in the presence of the Lord. But anyway, the people were freaked out because his face was glowing. Well, what? That's the only time in Scripture that you see anything like that. There and in Acts chapter 6. Whenever God gave the law to Moses, his face was shining like the glory of God. And I said, I may be reading, but it's almost like God responding to their threats and really affirming Stephen. Because when they looked at him, his face was shining. His face was like the face of an angel. And I was reminded of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And I'll end with this. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 says this, verses, in regards to this, these customs that you're changing and this law that is blaspheming in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 7 through 11, it says, Now, if the ministry of death, being law, carved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of his glory, which was being brought to an end. Would not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was a glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. 
Indeed, in that case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that it surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. So we see Stephen, his life's about to get crazy. He's about to go kind of on trial. It's not really trial. He just kind of kind of jumps in and does the Old Testament survey with him. The high priest begins to ask him a question, then he spins his answer goes from verse 2 all the way to verse 53. But what we see right now, and I want to paint the picture for next week, what we see right now is a guy who's full of faith, completely trusting God at where he was, that God was sovereign over all things. He was yielded to the Spirit. Why did he go to the synagogues and preach? Because the Spirit had led him to do so. Why did he have the debate with these people who were teaming up against him? Because that's what the Spirit led him to do. And as we walk through Acts 7 and we see the detail of God's sovereignty over everything, the complexity of how God orchestrated and did things, with that knowledge, and we can rest and understand that God's, God's got my life too. Your life and my life is not bigger than the redemption of mankind. And if God could plan that, predestine that to happen before the foundation of the world and perfectly pull it off, even to the day that his son was going to ride on a donkey on Palm Sunday, like, and on a donkey, like, if he's got that, he's got us. And that's what we see with Stephen is that he's, he's full of faith. And because of that, he was full of grace. This morning, <clears throat> what are we full of? Child of God, are you, are you trusting God with your eternity, but you don't think he can handle your tomorrow or your today? Are you worrying yourself to death over the things of this life? Yeah, Luke tells us we have a great father in heaven who delights in giving us the kingdom. Do you believe that God sovereignly rules all things? That even in our, our disobedience, that he can, even, he can even use that. Even our sin that he can, he can use for his glory and our sanctification. But what happens is, is a lot of times when we mess up and we sin, we just kind of take it and run with it. We try to keep it to ourselves. We, uh, I love, I know y'all have heard this illustration a hundred times, but it's the only one I got. So, uh, I love the old cartoon movie, How to Train Your Dragon. Like, love it. I'd get it for the girls, but really I love it. Like, love it. But the whole picture is these dudes are, training a dragon to ride on a dragon. Hey, that's what happens whenever we have sin in our life and we just, we just try to train it. We got it under control. It's like them guys who tame lions, right? Like keep them in a cage. Hey, eventually that dude's going to bite your face off. 
same thing with our sin is like whenever we try to tame it, whenever we try to control it, whenever we try to set it back, we, we pet it, we put makeup on it. I got that under control. Hey, that dude is going, you don't, as Piper would say, you don't train that dragon, you slay that dragon. He doesn't want, he doesn't need to live. He doesn't need oxygen to breathe. Drag him to light. He's a vampire. Bring him into the light so he melts. Like that kind of a deal. Like, let's get him here. Sorry, I thought about Edward Cullen in my mind just then. Drag him to the light. But what happens is, is, you know, we have this God who is sovereign over all things. We trust him with our heaven and hell. But we forget that he's he's still your heavenly father. And even in your sin right now, He hasn't stopped being God, and he hasn't regretted saving you. Will you come to him? Will you return to him? Will you confess your sin? I don't even know if somebody needs this this morning. This is nowhere in my notes at all. But like, return to him. Call out for him. Drag it. Sometimes that's a group effort. You need your friends to help you drag that son of a gun to the light. I pray that you do that this morning. Child of God, are you, are you full of your own worry and full of your own doubts? Are you full of your own, I can't get everything done? Or are you full of faith and full of trust that God's got it? Man, we would... We could actually experience the the abundant life on this side of eternity if we would trust God with our lives. Like, I don't think it's like, I don't think we live our best life now because if you live in your best life now, it's literally the best you'll ever have. But there is a life that he offers us as followers of Jesus that's actually a good life that's full of love and joy and peace and, and hope that we don't walk around as Debbie Downers and Church of the Frozen Chosen, that we have, that we have life in us because we serve the God who created and sustains the heavens and the earth. Right? I got to stop babbling. I'm going to pray. I feel like I ain't been up here forever, but it's only been a week. But got so many things to say. I'm going to pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for this example of a guy named Stephen, who although we only see him in two chapters or a chapter and a half, God, that God, that he will be an example to us. The, the epitome of the Christian life is that we trust you, and God, we are obedient to you. And in doing so, God, you, you give us grace. Grace in our failures, grace in our faults. Give us grace that we can give towards others. God, may we be a people who totally trust you enough, God, that we resign our life to you and leave the outcome up to you. God, I pray that you convict us where we've resisted the Holy Spirit's drawing We've resisted the Holy Spirit's filling of us by our own disobedience and rejection. And God, may we submit ourselves to you to be filled. 
God, I don't know who in here this morning, God, that just needs that word of if there's sin in their life that they've been trying to hide, God, that they could, they, they could bring that to you. you delight in saving, you delight in redeeming, you delight in forgiving. God, if there's anyone in here this morning who doesn't know you, who, who has not trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior, God, I pray that your spirit will draw them to you now, that your spirit will cause them to be born again to a living hope through Jesus Christ from the dead, through the resurrection of Christ from the dead. God, I pray now as we stand and we sing, God, that we will we'll sit here and, and just let you speak. God, we will sing if we feel led to sing. We'll pray if we need to pray. We'll grab somebody and talk if we need to. Because may we respond in a way that glorifies you. It's in Christ's name. Amen.